0: Welcome to the Jeff Gross Podcast. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes. All right. Welcome, everyone. This is the 60th podcast edition of The Flow Show. We have a very special guest, Barry Baker joining us. Barry, how are you? Good morning. How are you doing there,
1: Jeff? You in Florida?
0: No, not at the moment, but I basically between Florida, Vegas, Miami, obviously quarantine life, you know, keeping it, uh, being able to stream being down in the Bimini area. So I'm, I want to know where you've traveled, but I'm sure you've been to all the Caribbean stops and I know you spent some time in Florida, but Barry, this is about, this is about the Barry Baker today. We got, I want to know the, the man, the myth, the legend. I want to go through kind of your career. I want to know about, we got a lot to cover. Why don't we just first let the people know, because you're not a professional poker player, although we have played some poker together, um, wh- which uh, we'll touch on. But give us a little background on you and you know where you grew up and, and sort of uh, how you got into your, your career. Give us a little right. background.
1: Um, I grew up in the Bronx, kind of a high-risk neighborhood <laughs> in terms of uh, I started out in a low-to-middle-class neighborhood. Um, uh, Always uh, valued education in our family, but for some reason, with a bunch of crazy cousins, uh, I got involved playing cards at a very, very early age—much earlier than I ever thought I would play cards. Wow! Like four years old, <laughs> and, playing uh, poker at four—that's a-, well, a. I started with gin rummy. I won't well, rummy, rummy uh, okay. have There's a picture that i have of we used to go to a place called lake mohegan which is up towards poughkeepsie we used to go up there to a family bungalow where all the cousins were there and i have a picture because i used to play rummy against the adults and i have a picture of playing them and i was fairly good at math and uh, i got really good at remembering cards and There was a picture of my cousin holding a mirror behind my cards that I didn't know, kind of a full length mirror. And I was playing other adults and I didn't know the mirror was there and they were showing them what was in my hand so that some people were going to beat me by knowing what not to throw me in rummy. So I was having a real good time as a young kid playing rummy against people because I could remember cards that people had thrown. So I always, for some reason, had a good memory for playing any kind of cards. And it started with, with rummy, not even gin rummy, but seven card rummy.
0: Wow. So it's all right. So you do it. So you have some, you got some background with cards. You said, you know, you got to play some games. Was that something, what about like board games? Did you, did you enjoy all types of games? Like cards? Yeah.
1: We played a lot of, uh, risk clue, um, anything that, uh, um, uh, we stayed away from shoots and ladders and stuff like that. Anything where there was something to really think about and, and whether board games of all kinds and, uh, played go as a kid, right. uh, really got into chess, played at a place called the Manhattan Chess Club. used to take the train to Manhattan and play at the Manhattan Chess Club where Bobby Fischer and all the legends of chess played had ambitions of being a terrific chess player. Um, The Manhattan Chess Club was the kind of the meeting place for the greatest chess players in the United States and then for Russian immigrants and it was on 58th Street and uh, we used to go down there as a kid and I got to play against some of the greats and then uh, I remember spending the money to play against some of the real masters that would play like against 20 people at once and walk around a circle and you'd be one of those games and they'd beat all 20 players and I was going to really do that start to get up into the high 18-1900s ranked as a player and I think I lost interest in it eventually but I was definitely into games where you could think about it a lot and and so you were you were playing I, playing show, like, well, no, I think I should show you the results of a chess game here that Wow. Uh, on the lawn that uh, didn't end didn't end well. Yeah, looks like
0: it, looks like it got violent, Barry. What's going it, on they, there? They
1: were, they were throwing around some pieces. That's all I could tell you. All
0: right, let's man, that does look that's quite a scene, but that's it looks like a nice chessboard. That's uh that's awesome. Yeah, no, Bryce. So let me just tell everyone, we'll give you a little history quickly and then we'll go back to jump in. uh I met Barry through Antonio, shout out to the magician Antonio Espandiari. We came for a charity poker event and I had never met the Bakers and Antonio, you know, we we, did, we they basically said, "Hey, you're going to this family will host you. It's a charity event." So we stayed at your house um, I think Bryce was probably, what, he was maybe in 16, 15 at that yeah, age? Even, maybe even younger than that, I
1: think. I know you guys a little over 10 years. Yeah, so a
0: long time ago, we come there, ho- you guys host us, we have a great time, hit it off, and we've been, you know, there was a few years in a row we were coming each year, obviously now Antonio's got kids, I have, I have a child, uh, we, we haven't seen it quite as much, we're still get together in Vegas, we have some dinners, we catch up, Amy, you know, Brandis, Bryce, the whole family, and it's it's awesome. So uh yeah, you we've got, known each other for many years now. So it's You it's guys are
1: become part of the family. And the fun thing about the charity tournament is they had you guys had volunteered your time to come up and play at Deer Valley for the National Billy Center. I was blown away to even be asked that you and Antonio Tony who would be staying at our house and they needed like some Place to stay, and I said, "Well, oh, please have these guys stay." And then Antonio called me in Maryland. I was going to a company we owned, and uh, uh, he said, "Hey, I'm Antonio," and, I, and he said, "I'm not staying at your house unless I hear it from you," which told me a lot about the character of you guys. And then you came, and in for, uh, 43 players in a winner-take-all game, I know you guys were playing for fun. I wasn't, and I was nervous. I want tournament, and uh um you were the only two real pros but it was fun winning against 43 players for this charity tournament. I must tell you that was that was a- I
0: remember that. That was very impressive. Uh, we, I know we were happy. It's fun. It doesn't it honestly in poker and tournament those kind of things. It is it's really about when you can win any tournament. It's it's fun no matter what, right? Cause it's it's so a bunch of there. luck.
1: It's a bunch of luck, but you can't be lucky the entire time. You must do something right. There
0: was a good play in there, Barry. I know you had a good a good uh, spark in there. So, But, yeah, so just to give you guys a little history, that's how we know each other. And, um, yeah, so, uh, Barry, so, so take me back now. So you're playing some chess. You're actually playing for a little bit of money, right? That was common. Guys were just for, you know, sandwiches, uh, whatever. I don't know. What were you guys – what was, like, the bets back then? This is not what year? This is in the 90s? This, uh,
1: I'm in high school, so it's uh, 60 – Five, 66, 67. I was wow. doing that. And then I went to Syracuse. I was young, like my 16, 17th birthday. And I started to play whist all night like uh instead of spending a lot of time going to classes like most derelicts uh at turkeys it was a party school then it's the new house school is not a party school anymore uh i think we have some of the best journalism broadcasters professionals in advertising in the country we have so many uh uh folks that have come out of there, cost distant uh 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 uh, among them but I could go I mean you literally could list 10 great broadcasters who've come out of Syracuse uh, uh Dick Clark uh Mike Tirico uh, I really could go on but also on the production side Eddie Gorin at Fox Sports you have so many people who've come out of there Fred Silverman uh but the Newhouse School also provided me a chance to play poker on the plate whist all night which is uh, uh Kind of a derivation of spades. And uh, that's basically what I did throughout school was play whist. And I really enjoyed it uh, and got into playing poker wherever I was. I lived in Syracuse. Right. Uh, played poker. Uh, went to Houston uh, for my first uh, big time job in the media i moved to st louis and there got into a first real-time professional poker game in which uh the mayor of East st louis a guy named carl officer who was a mayor of East st louis and also a full-time mortician who had his own uh who had his own funeral home, a very cool guy. And we had about on uh, the beer distributor, we had a real poker game uh, every week. And we started playing for not your kind of money or that you've exposed me to, unfortunately, but for real money.
0: That's that's cool. So like and and give us like back then what, what were kind of game were guys what what type of poker games were you playing at that time? Well we, we're playing
1: we're playing Omaha and we're playing um um We're playing some some stud, but we're playing a stupid game called crisscross where we put five cards in the middle and just reveal them one at a time. And you have to play cards in one direction or another. And... You could, and in those days we used to play declare pots one one chip or two, and you could go both ways. And if you went both ways, you couldn't tie either way. So, you know, as you, as you play cards from city to city, as you know, uh, not everything is the same. So, you steal, you don't steal. You you borrow some things from some games, and then you move to a new city. Uh, the game we have in Park City is probably the biggest game in the area, but. It's, it's a meld of everyone else's game. You may yeah. be the host of the game, but you try and live with what everyone else has played everywhere else. You take good ideas from some places. Uh, your friend Antonio brought us a game in Park City. We call Royale. I don't know that anyone plays it anywhere else. I think he made it up one day when he was down. Too many tens of thousands, and he, <laughs> he probably figured out the odds, and we haven't. But we play Royale now. It was a derivation yeah. of pineapple, three-handed stud, but I've never seen Royale played anywhere else except at our table in Park City.
0: I got to say, your 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 crew, the guys there, it's a, it's a really is a joy. It's a very fun atmosphere and yeah. just, really cool. Like and I'll say this: the you brought me an experience as well that I, I got to say is very cool. Obviously, the the Michael Jordan documentary that's going on right now i actually haven't seen it yes so i heard it's incredible did you see those first two episodes or yeah
1: no? there were 6.2 million viewers for the first two episodes which is an incredible number it's not that people are bored out of their minds because yeah. of 19 it is incredible uh, i saw it got a 100 rating on rotten tomatoes and nobody gets that number uh He's incredible. He is the greatest of all time. You've been to his house with me playing a game called Padukki.
0: Yes, I, I was just going to say I have also to thank you to the to I, I've, I've met Michael Jordan and meeting him through you guys. Neighbors or in this particular place, got to play in his house and also something I've never seen in a poker game, which was super unique, where it was only cash plays. We don't have to say the amounts or what's going on, but I'll tell you this. That is not conventional in a in a home game in a casino where only Cash bills count. So there's no there's no buying chips. There's no credit. It's like, look, you have cash, you play, and it's uh, it makes a fun dynamic, counting it out in the stacks and the things. So that was uh, – you know, I got to say, in all my years of poker, I've never seen or even heard of that, and that was uh, pretty special,
1: playing some of these other variation
0: games as well. On look, the
1: you, you, you've seen cash games where people have quarters and nickels and dollars on the table. That's true. Back in the you day, ne- you're right. You never – my nickname is Hundy Man, and the only currency that they deal in in that game without revealing – I don't want to reveal anything about it. Yeah, same. The, That's what I'm saying. We don't have to go into numbers. Size of the game, but basically there's no change that has to be made in that game, and my name, Hundyman, tells you everything you need to know about that all-cash game. It is an absolutely great game. Uh, Patuki is a game where uh, – uh, uh, it's a it's a game that Michael obviously has played many many years so I think he's better than, than all of us yeah. uh, but he does bring in guys um, who uh, who uh, have as much, as much uh, 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 uh as as much play as he has and can stand up to him and will not let him sweep pots and not afraid. And uh, my friend, uh, uh, James, take it to the bank uh he says when you say check he says checks for the bank and out come the hundy so it is
0: james he's a legend too man those those are some he's fun.
1: My, <laughs> he's my atlanta buddy and i gotta tell you something that's those games are fabulous games and uh and it's fun having having those guys around um uh our games are not normally of that size in park city but when you guys come up when antonio comes up it's always a thrill um if you let me tell the story about Phil Ivy, I will, um, because it's a, it's a good one. The first time we had a professional poker player playing our yeah. game. Barry, this
0: is listen to me. I'm 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 holding the brakes on the story stuff for what I, what I, you are. This is your domain. This is I, I want to you know the business is what I'm super interested in. But the poker stuff is fun, and and you got some great stories. So Barry, listen, I got all day. So you I, please tell the Ivy story and whatever else you want to so say. So, you only have an hour and five minutes from now so I, i'm watching we're gonna get to the questions but tell me the phil ivy story and then let's let no, so, them know so
1: we have a game during our big golf tournament every year called the cauldron cup and at that game we always raise the stakes uh i would say significantly yeah. to our normal game and phil ivy happens to be in town and this is maybe 10 years ago or so okay. and phil doesn't travel with a lot of cash and no one's going to uh, what's his name? Silent Mike has played in our game. Uh, um, Mike, I'm going to think of his last name, but everyone just calls him Silent Mike on TV. You'll know his name. But, and he played in our game a lot. But but Phil comes, and everyone's, of course, in awe that Phil's going to come to our game. And, and um, he doesn't show up with a lot of cash, but he thinks, what the, hey, I'm in Park City, Utah. It's got to be the same as Vegas. And... It's a very white town, unfortunately, Park City. We're not very diversified in terms of uh, uh, racial, uh, uh, which it's white. And he decides that he's going to need $100,000 in cash to come play in our game. And he decides to go to the junction which is a little place with a bunch of stores and he's going to show up and before the game about two hours before he's going to go to the window and ask for a hundred thousand dollars and hundred dollar bills and here's billy black man with a bag and um he walks into the uh, 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 Wells Fargo bank there at the corner and there's no one in the bank, really. We don't it's not heavily trafficked there in Park City. And of course, he uh, walks up to the window by himself and the teller doesn't even see black people on a normal basis. And he, he says, give me a hundred grand. And says, don't tell me he's
0: robbing the bank. Don't say and it.
1: So, sure enough. She hits the bell, she hits the floor, and Phil goes, what am I doing? What am I doing? And all of a sudden, the place goes crazy. So Phil doesn't understand that outside Vegas, people don't sit around, even at the main banks in Salt Lake of Diamonds, which is that we don't sit around with a hundred grand and hundred in a hundred dollar bills, it's not like going to the cage at the win or at Aria. But we had a great laugh about it that night. He plays that
0: amazing, night. they she hit the bell for the rock. What happened then? Yeah. So, like, she hit oh, the well, bell. Then
1: everyone, he really pulled out his card and thank god someone was a poker player there and said, Oh, that's Phil Ivey who at the time I think might yeah. be number one in the world or yeah. next Negrano, but anyway, so. He played in the game that night. We had a bunch of great laughs and whatever. Um, Bryce sat and watched him, and he would say to Bryce, just like Antonio, when Bryce watched Antonio, "It's I can win with any hand, and they'll drop out." Or. And the great thing about you guys, the three of you, and Mike, silent Mike as much, but not as much, uh, nothing against them, is that you guys, after two rounds, basically know what we all have in our hands, and we're just... We're just, uh, we're just food for slaughter at this point. So okay. before
0: I, the last story, I, well, the last thing I'll mention about poker and our experiences before, again, I want to, your career is super fascinating. You know, even my dad, I was uh, chatting with him about, he actually threw up some questions and did a little bit of research. He was mentioning some, He, you know, he knows about some of the stuff or the people and the, the things that you've accomplished in your career. It's pretty cool. Cause like, I, I have a good idea, but th- I want to make sure we focus on sort of that. But I will say this summer we were playing some, you know, pretty good cash game at the, the Encore in Vegas. It was, I believe, it was either 2-4 or 300-600. I can't remember now. One of the two. I think it was
1: 3-6. It was 300-600. And it was a game I never should have been in. Barry, listen
0: to me. Do I put you. I put you in in, in plus C V spots. All I know is when Barry comes around, he ends up winning. Don't I? I gotta blow up a spot a little. He's a he's a smart guy. Whether it's poker or not, if he he just finds a way. Because you played in this 300-600 game, and you came out ahead, and I came out ahead as well. That's all That's all I'm going to say. We both did well and it was a good game and and you you won and, and you've played some high stakes. That's a little higher than your normal. Is that the highest, the
1: biggest blinds you've ever played? That, that, that's the highest stakes and it was more to prove to myself that I could. And even though I lost um, probably 40% of my stack on the very first hand playing well and it was a tens and tens of thousand dollars stack I started with I and I thought I was going to go home very very early, or else rebuy and then be embarrassed. I ended up winning just a lot of money, and and I I I felt I could sit down again and play with those people, having learned a good lesson.
0: Yeah, so. no, for sure. And I mean, it's a it is always no poker's poker, but of course, when the stakes are a little different than normal, or you know, certain c- scenarios, it's always it's a little uncomfortable. Also, you don't know the people. It's like when I come to Park City, you know, it's like a uh, or a different game it's different whether or not you're a better player or not. Like you're playing against people that are playing often together and you don't know who does what really it takes you a little extra adjustment time. So it's a, it's a disadvantage. It's a, it's an away game, right? Hey,
1: like it's, it's, um, listen, after playing golf with Michael Jordan, you're going to learn one thing and you'll learn it in the special and why Michael is the greatest of all time. And it comes to this. Michael wants you to gamble for the next point higher, the next dollar higher that makes you uncomfortable. Exactly, and and you can't bet against him in golf over any long period of time, and win. Because maybe you're Bukovinsky, but uh, shout out to Buko, uh, Rick Bukovinsky, who has more gambling guts than anybody that I know who's a normal human being. But I will, I will say this to you: he just takes you to a place where you're a little more uncomfortable, not because I can't afford the stakes but because he knows I don't like to play at that level. Right. So when I sit down in the $300-$600 any game and 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 you guys at the very beginning of the game are going to decide who pays to plays the dealer 5000 for the table and you're just going to flip seven cards and the one who wins is going to pay him the 5000. That's not a game that I even I don't even want to be sitting around that table or breathing the air, okay? <laughs>
0: I think yes, you're right, but I believe how that what the was is every dealer change, it's five thousand a man. And we do a card, but then the dealer I think gets two thousand, but then the player either, the play which gets is 3, yeah, but whatever, yeah, whatever it is, the
1: player gets whatever like, it is, yeah, you start you out, have, you, or, you or, sit or, with Michael, Michael says, give me four to one, and I'm not going to make this this ten footer, and you want to play for ten dollars, and he wants to play for a thousand, you don't want to lose the thousand, but he wants to win the four thousand,
0: yeah, so yeah, he, you, knows you, he, to, even, he knows how to, he knows how to, you're right, I mean that there's a, there's a there's a there's an art form in that and 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 uh, gambling and kind of finding people's thresholds and knowing how to push you a little bit out of your uh, where you're
1: comfortable that's why that's why you guys win because you know our threshold for pain in the game we always play in Park City and I they knew my threshold for pain in Las Vegas it's lucky I still own this house <laughs>
0: All right. Well, you do, you do own this house and the other house and you got, you got some, and we got, you know, Barry got stories. You got all the, you got all the interesting things to cover. I do want to make sure we do pick up though with the business side, Barry, because this is, that's why I want to, I want to dive in to how Barry Baker, you go to Syracuse, now you you're there, you go through college, you're playing some card games as well for you know you're doing some of that, but you're you're there for for school, you get out. And how did you then embark on your career? So well, what I was, I, was,
1: bu- I started I started a business in college booking bands. Uh we called the agency Nod Out Talent. N-O-D-O-E-T. That should tell you about how stoned we were at the time. Um and uh that was okay. And then I booked a band. Called Ace, they had the number one song in the U.S., and uh, uh, it was called uh, "How Long Has This Been Going On." That was actually, the song was called "How Long." It's how long is, and then I booked a band called the New York Dolls, both of which traveled Buffalo, Toronto, the Upstate New York circuit. And each time when I traveled with them, uh, there was so much cocaine in the speaker columns going from Buffalo to Toronto that. I figured I couldn't imagine the time I was going to end up spending in jail, if and when these speaker columns were looked at in crossing the border internationally. What and the, that's,
0: what speaker column? I don't know what you mean. Well,
1: but the bands travel with oh. speakers, How speakers, speakers in the yeah. actual. Oh, you know, no one would ever look there, right? Wow. So uh, I, we would go through these. You know that these were both hot bands. New York Dolls were hot, and and uh, Ace. And I just said, this is not for me. Uh, I don't know how I'd look in a prison uniform and uh, uh, not having any options, really, uh, uh, a political science degree, not being not to have one, but no real purpose in life. I decided I would sell cable door to door. And I've told the story maybe a hundred times. Now. It's just that I became very good as a door to door salesman. I uh, didn't kid. hear the story. I want to know. So you literally were going door to door selling cable. I was selling cable at a time when Ted Turner was just inventing uh uh, uh cable. He had a, there was a big poster in my office of Ted Turner standing on a mountain playing guitar, saying I was cable before cable was cool. Uh we had a product called Home Box Office. Home Box Office was not carried by satellite then it was carried up by Eastern Microwave, which was owned by the new houses. It was sent up to Syracuse through Binghamton and up to Syracuse. And we didn't know what home box office was but at the time if you you're way too young for this comedian named Robert Klein and who still and he was doing comedy specials and they were doing boxing matches and that's basically what hbo was, it was four hours of night of premium channel slash reruns of the same things and uh, we had to sell that along with basic cable which was basically just good reception a weather channel which was just slides running in a carousel mm-hmm. not the channel you have today and ted turner's uh tv at the superstation as he called it and um i would knock on the door and they would ask me what home box office was and uh, again i think i told the story enough but i'll just repeat it that if i if i smelled incense or saw anybody a tie-dyed shirt or smelled pot i sold home box office as what the playboy channel was going to become 20 years later i told them they were going to see nude movies and they're going to have you know just Great, great. You knew how you knew to find your customer. You knew if you, you just I could find them. it as soon as they opened the door. And if they opened the door and I saw spandex outfit, uh, Jesus Christ hanging there, uh, anything that was straight, people neat, I sold it like the Disney Channel was going to be. Wow. And while the rest of the country was getting what they call 50% penetration of selling the home box office product, I was getting 87% sale sell through. And the people in New York, a guy by the name of Les Reed, who was running home box office sales, called up my boss, who's been a friend of mine to this day, a woman named Bev Arms, who owned the system, and said, uh, "Hey Bev, what's going on in Syracuse? You guys have the highest." penetration of home box office sales she goes I don't know this is kid he's out there selling the thing I don't know what he's doing he's I'm coming up to Cirque to see what's going on so he flew up and he went on a few calls with me and he said what are you telling these people I said I don't know what is home box office I'm gonna tell them about about uh uh, Robert Klein or or whatever I said no no you're gonna tell them what they want to hear so they thought that was brilliant and pretty soon I was running the cable system. They also had an AM/FM station. I was running that, and I was all of twenty-seven years old. And fortunately, somebody noticed that in New York and got a hold of a guy in 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 Florida who had a radio station in Florida, and he said, "I have a busted radio station. I was doing all news on FM. Why don't you go to Houston and and fix this?" And I got the chance to go to Houston, Texas, uh, and and take an all-news radio station on FM, this is 1977. And the week that Saturday Night Fever was released as a movie, we changed it to a radio station kind of format that I was hearing in New York called uh, WBLS, which stood for the best looking sound in New York. It was urban radio in which the urban music, Black radio at the time was defined as talking down and jive and bullshit. And it was always at 1580 on the dial and it didn't have good fidelity. And here was FM and great music. And so we ended up changing this station, firing 32 out of 33 employees, except for the black public affairs director, bringing in all these jocks who were white sounding, but all black and we played Ashford and Simpson and the Commodores and people Bryson and all these great news with the band and, and Lionel Rich it's on and on. And we went from number 32 in the ratings to number two in seven weeks. Yeah. And that station that we paid a half a million dollars for, we sold for $42 million for four years later. Wow. And in the middle, I had a little, little piece of it. The that, guy,
0: that, was the, that was the one in Florida.
1: Uh, it was one in Houston. the guy I owned it was from florida oh, and you guys went and this is when yeah. was- and uh and i would have still been with him but uh my stock deal was so rich that uh i went to st louis i did the same thing there on radio again with an urban format and um he came to me as i was about to exercise my shares and said uh really bad guy and he said uh, um you know this is going to make you too rich too young you're not going to appreciate this and i'm going to redo your deal i'm not going to let you exercise all your options and that i learned a very hard lesson at that time the worst yeah. i haven't wow. told really a horrible lesson and um he uh uh said you're i'm going to change the stock values on you i'm not gonna let you exercise at at today's valuation, to let you exercise a book, which was a difference of millions of dollars in 1982. And so, how old were you? Thirty years old. Then? I, was, I was twenty. I was thirty-one. Yeah. And I just marked it down as a multimillion-dollar painful lesson. This guy was name was Joe Amaturo, and he's still alive in Florida. Um, anyway, at that point, I knew I had to leave, and someone, another gentleman called me in St. Louis, he said, "I want you to run my television station." Um, I said I've never run a television station, a uh, uh, 65-year-old man named Harold Copler. I said, okay, let me listen. And he pitched me on why I should do it. And um, I went over to run that television station. And uh, little, my little friend, Mr. Amateur, said, you don't know anything about it. You'll fail, blah, blah, blah. And I ran it for four years. He died, unfortunately, of a heart attack during that period. And his son took over. Um, his son's job prior to that was running a U-boat, was running a Disney submarine at Disneyland. So I was reporting to him. That didn't last very long. Um, I tried to buy the company and he fired me. And that's kind of a, at 37, I was jobless. Uh, um, Let me some, of-
0: super fascinating about the door to door, just to clarify. So you basically got by one of the the main people in the in the business, saw that your sales were off the chart, like different, higher. Yeah. Came, checked you out, recruited you, brings you on, and that sort of from that point on, you were on the map in this space, and people were kind of people had yeah noticed. yeah yeah.
1: There was a firm called McAvern Guild that represented a lot of radio stations. And yeah. they said, wow, this guy knows what he's doing. And 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 so I was on the map for
0: sure. So, so they bring you on the map. And then to just clarify your lesson, what was the lesson you learned? I mean, this is that's insane. That's The like, lesson
1: I learned was don't, A, a read your contract, but yeah. beyond that, um, don't do something in which somebody has leverage over you. If you're not going to own it, or be a true partner with somebody um, know that you're only in this for a short period of time until the time when people are going to turn against you for whatever reason they're going to. So either go in a true partnership with friends, with partners you can trust and do your part of that partnership or be the CEO with control. Otherwise, don't do it.
0: very interesting, but and would you say? I mean, obviously, it's essentially stealing. I mean, it's dishonest. What happened was, a, was major, a major, major, uh, You know, that that's the kind of thing that can either maybe derail you or put you on tilt, if you will, or like you said, you could learn a valuable lesson and sort of move forward. Do you think looking back? I mean, obviously, it's wrong in every sense of the way. It's terrible. It's dishonest. It's it's there's say a lot of other words. But do you think that that lesson or maybe that did that maybe light a fire, or do you think your things would have been different? Let's say you had got that money. Obviously, you're very balanced well put together individual smart head on your shoulders is your life different if that doesn't happen or not really you just sort of maybe act, well, gone quicker and
1: got well, more I, things. I, I think it was the best lesson i ever had right this guy showing me that um look there are some people and it was the lesson i learned there and it was later uh, uh later on in in another in in uh um Ron uh, Perlman's office, I saw the same thing. I learned later on that sharing equity with people that you work with is gonna make your efforts multiply so much more. There are some uh, owners that would just as soon cut off their thumb before they would give you equity in their company. They will compensate you in many, many ways and they will give you a share of that year's profits. All oh, we'll give you 20% of this year's profits. But the answer is that when they give you 20% of that year's profits, they're going to sell that company for eight times that year's profits. So if you think about it, you're getting 20% of one year. They're getting eight times that as an ultimate value. So you're getting screwed unless you're in that big picture, that ownership picture. And what Mr. Amaturo did was say, hey, uh, he called me Wallio, which in Italian means, hey, kid, this is your lesson. And it was a great lesson because as soon as uh, Harold Coppler called me and said, do you want to come over here and learn television? I said, I'll learn television. And he said, I said, what about equity? He said, well, there's not going to be any. I said, well, that's cool because I knew that going in. And I wanted to learn that business because I saw it as a entry point into something else. And I I did that for four years. Unfortunately he died. I don't think he ever would have given me equity because he was one of those guys that would have cut off his thumb. That was a generation that just didn't give it away. And then when I tried to buy the company, uh, they fired me and I was told I'd never work in the business again. And I was done. And um, I was quite, uh, I had, brought the Cardinal baseball team over the rights. And I'd done a lot of good selling and building and I, I was given control of all their television stations and I, I had a great job, no equity. And so when I tried to buy the television stations, they fired me on the spot. And I learned again the lesson of, for the second time, if you're not going to own it, why bother? And that's when I formed this company, River City Broadcasting.
0: And that was when you were so after you fired. This is when you're 37 years old. You start this business.
1: So yeah, talk- I go to I went to, I went to the Cox family and said, you have a UHF television station that's losing money in St. Louis, across the street from the station I used to run. And they were nice enough to sell it to me and take a note. And I owned about 80% of it at the, with my partner. And we, we paid uh, $19 million for that station. We raised, this, is in, this n- is in when you're 37 years old. So this is, yeah, like eight, we borrowed, day. we borrowed, uh, we, 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 raised five and a half million and we sold that company for a billion, 200 million, six years later that's the, you sold it for wait. way. Uh, so when you say you
0: and your partner, who, who was that? That's front, who, chief, I had
1: a front chief financial officer named Larry Marcus. Um, uh, he owned 20% of the business and I had 80% of the business. And along the way we sold some equity, but the original investors, um, got a 44 times return on their money. Woody Johnson, who owns the jets, uh, gave was one of the early investors he gave me five hundred thousand. i gave him 22 million and i got super bowl tickets for life for, for <laughs> never not that i want to go but right. there were some people who in there from the beginning who got a 44x
0: all right well let me let me just i mean it's pretty that's pretty wild so how, how these these returns and what you're doing how did you you went to the when you say the cox family do you mean like cox cable and, and
1: cox? yeah the, yeah the cox family um uh, uh, yeah, uh, Kennedy Cox. I mean, the Cox family, Atlanta owned newspapers and major television stations and Cox Cable, and they own Mannheim, the auto, the uh, auto auction business, and so many. So, so, so you
0: hold I just want to know how the, this this return, this sale, all this is. It's it's fascinating, though. How are you? You know, you're finding.
1: Sell them. You have to sell them on the fact that. Cox represented the very best television stations and the very best, everything, everywhere they were. And here they had a UHF television station, which was seen as garbage at the time, at the time. And it was a money loser and it didn't, it was never going to make any money and it wasn't an asset that they had to have. And why don't they just get it off their books? And they said, well, how much are you going to give us? And I said, they said, Well, this is a major market, this is St. Louis. And I said, Well, we'll give you 20 million for it. And they said, All right, give us 20 million. I said, I don't have 20 million. You're gonna have to take back a note for 15 million. And I'll give you five million. And I don't know. We sold them the fact that we would be good stewards of the station, we wouldn't fire anybody. There were bowling lanes in the basement left over from bowling for dollars. It was
0: uh, let me ask you, when you construct this deal. And you say, I'll give you 20 million. You don't have it. You already have you gone to what's the guy's, the, the owner of the, the Jets or what, what's his
1: name? Benny? No, we had nothing. We hadn't you, even started.
0: You said, I'll give you 20 million. You said, All right, well, th- I think I can scratch five together or and, and do this note. But then you
1: do then go and you make. Well, I had, a hundred, I had a couple hundred thousand dollars, two, three hundred. By then, they wanted to, you know, your investors want to know that you're. What equity? You want. To earn yeah, they don't your want you. They want your money. Right, your money where your
0: mouth is. I believe it's in that money. I, all the equity deals and things. That, I think if you just, it's way different. It's similar like a poker backing and staking. Like I've done deals. I've been staked. I've been backed. I, I, I've Even when I've been staked or backed, I'm also staking or backing people. I'm a firm believer that you must have a piece of yourself. If you're getting 100% back, it's just not right because it's. it doesn't matter. It's subconscious. Not that you don't care, or respect other people's money, but you need to have you just gotta have some 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 skin in the game, right? I mean, is that
1: is that. Yeah, yeah, You have to have skin in the game, and and um, every since then, since I've been investing in people and companies in my next phase of my life after running companies, um, it's very important for for CEOs and their management teams to use a, a big piece of their net worth, especially on their first deals. To, to put top money at risk because if they don't have money at risk and you've got all the money at risk one day you'll find the keys on the desk and they'll have walked away from it so uh, my belief is that you want a ceo who's in the perfect world is put in their first deal 70% of them of their net worth in a deal they have a boat a house a mortgage they have a wife four kids and they have their life into this. They have their reputation. They have their friends in it. I mean, I'm I'm drawing a perfect scenario. But you want somebody totally committed to the business with their name and their reputation, which what we did. I sold pieces of River City to my best friends, um, and and obviously they did really really well. But but. Um, That's when you want. That's when you have somebody who's going to stay there till midnight and after and make a business work. When you're able to get somebody to put their entire life on the line, that's to me, um, it's the perfect scenario. When you say that when you find an executive who's worth $10 million, he brings you a deal and says, I'll put 300,000 in. uh, I'm not overwhelmed. Generally, generally.
0: Right. Wow. Very, very interesting. So, but did you, when you got made this deal, you cut the deal, you put out, get 5 million raised 20 million. You got a note for 15 in your head. Were you thinking this is likely a double three, four X, or were you like, this is a grand slam? And I just. No, no, no.
1: I think it's, I think it's a double, but I think like the investing world is now looking and saying, okay, if he starts to do, okay, he starts to do. Okay. Can he, can he, which I did right away, we did right away. Can he do it again? And can he do it again? In other words, is the talent scalable? He's done it in Syracuse once he's done in St. Louis and radio and television, but one at a time. And although I did do it in in St. Louis and Sacramento simultaneously running those two stations is his talent scalable. And we quickly found a station in San Antonio that started to work. Then we found one in Des Moines that started to work. And then thank God that at the 92 NCA final four, that Duke, one because a guy on the station indianapolis that he had paid 67 million for and uh jim goodman from from raleigh north carolina raleigh north carolina and raleigh virginia raleigh anyway jim is sitting there and he's a duke fan and i'm sitting with him in the box of the final four on that saturday And he doesn't want to own independent television stations, but he does because he has the big CBS station in Raleigh and Duke wins. They upset. It was like a gigantic upset. They were never supposed to win. And and he signs a deal with me on the back of a napkin after the first game to sell me the station. that he built 68, paid 68 for for $31 million because he didn't know how to run that kind of station. So the fourth station we bought was Indianapolis Channel Four, which to this day was the by was the Bobby Knight show. It was Bobby. It was managing Bobby, which he's absolutely unmanageable, but we developed a great friendship. Um uh it was the highest-rated uh, Indiana basketball in the nineties, early nineties. Yeah. There's you know, nothing hotter was, than that, right? There's nothing hotter. There's nothing hotter. It's like anyway, saying, uh, so uh, yeah, it's crazy, we, right? anyway, we were yeah. we repeated a formula of Good programming, good selling, and then we started to go back and buy radio, and uh, then we bought some stations from Bob Bass in in Sacramento, in Columbus, and in uh, um, and in Asheville, Greenville. We bought some what they call fifty thousand watt clear stations: WNOL, New Orleans, which is the mouth of the South Radio, KBW, in Buffalo. And so we built thirty-five stations. Okay, and uh, in '96. A fellow Mm -hmm. named David Smith, which Sinclair Broadcasting today uh, offered us a billion one in cash and a hundred million in stock to buy the company, which I was not wedded. I I didn't have my name on there. I never saw this other than as an investment. make my partners a lot of money so I didn't it wasn't a legacy it wasn't turning this over to my son or it's a business you sit down at a poker game you're not trying out in the casino you're trying to make money and so this six-year period uh, my partners who were at Boston at the time my biggest partners at Boston Ventures uh, a guy named Tony Bowen and a guy named Kopey Coppedge they looked at me and I looked at them and said this is a ridiculous return Um, and in order to get the money, they had to borrow a billion dollars. And uh, the, the payment, the price for that was I was going to have to move to Baltimore to run the combined company for three years. Okay. That's how I ended up in Baltimore and a poker again. Uh, not to bring it all back to poker, but a great poker game there. Um, but the deal was Jimmy Lee, who passed away at uh, at, uh Chase, he, he was the lead lender of all of this stuff, and he said, Barry, we're giving you the money, but we're only giving you the money if you go run the company, if you merge the entities, the thing you do, and so now we had 65 stations, and I did that for three years in one day.
0: And and that was, when you say Baltimore, which part of Baltimore again were you in?
1: We were in Pikesville, uh, uh, just north of uh, their beltway down the street from a golf course called Caves Valley, which I belong to. Yeah, no, I, know,
0: cool. I know caves very well. I, that's I as well. You know, you met Dave Silverman. He came, stayed at your guys' right. house, and obviously, felt we live. I live with Mike for like seven plus years in Baltimore, so I know Baltimore very oh, that's well.
1: Great. And, that's uh, great. That's, anyway, yeah, it's. cool. I, I love the place. A great pro. There, Dennis Status. was a mentor to so many pros around this country. A real genius. Yeah. Great.
0: That's awesome man. It's it's a cool. That's very cool. So you've lived in different pockets and you've done you've grown this. And then I mean 99 though I know I just uh, talking about with Barry Diller who is a a mogul in the space. Is that when you got connected with him? Yeah, well,
1: Diller's the genius of the geniuses and if you think about it, he could have been the Jeff Bezos instantly. Nobody knew more than about internet and commerce than Barry. Uh I met Barry in 80. Nine, when I bought my first Fox station, uh, I was on the Fox Board of Governors, uh, and I was one of the key owners in getting the Fox program across to owners. uh, How we were going to have to share in the responsibility of the NFL when Fox took the NFL from CBS, and a big supporter, Rupert, was always there, uh, always asking us for help and uh i had a direct line to the rupert Barry or jamie kellner uh barry always liked my work and he asked me as soon as my contract with david was up david smith at sinclair uh to come work for him and we actually started plotting that even before i left sinclair and barry was collecting assets like usa broadcasting uh etc and uh so even before i started there we were already strategizing what to do even in before my contract was up in late 99 and i officially joined i don't know in late 99 i remember i was in the caribbean that year but i was made president coo of all operations and during that time i was there we bought match.com we bought hotels.com uh we bought stinkers too santa.com and and uh maxim.com but i and we had usa network we had sci-fi but i will tell you that when you buy hotels.com and you make a you know 200x return or 100x whatever it is that makes up for a lot of stinkers that you pay for 10 or 20 million and barry was an absolute genius genius in the stuff that he bought um he uh He likes to be the strategist. He also likes to run stuff. I love to run stuff. Uh, I learned a ton. And after a year and a half, it was clear that he wanted to both run stuff and be the genius. And I like to run stuff my own way. And while I didn't stay forever, uh, I learned a ton about that size organization. I was over a billion dollars. I ran a billion dollars of EBITDA uh, nine CEOs direct reports, three public companies, um, and it was terrific. And I maintained friendships with some of the guys, all the guys, really. Darren Kazrishai, who runs Uber, was the was the a guy. John Miller ran AOL, was the broadcasting guy. Uh, Julius Janikowski was our general counselor in the FCC, uh, now with Carlisle. So I got to be with some great people and work with them uh, uh, as colleagues and peers. and. Um, It was it was a great experience and I maintain that friendship Um, and it's helped me really understand the transition of bricks and mortar to commerce on the Internet, which served me well when I decided to make a transition into private equity, the people who backed me in River City. And, and uh,
0: so and Barry, to, you're saying he could be the next Bezos or, or could have been, or he's, I mean, he's done so big. His names in the industry is synonymous with, you know, the biggest. He's, he's referred to as a mogul and people give him. So what, what makes him, what made him such a so great guy? Just know when he
1: left Fox, when Barry left Fox, um, Rupert, like, Rupert wanted Fox as his toy. I mean, I'm not telling tales out of school. Right. Rupert, After Barry had built it and operated it, Rupert said, this is my Ferrari, let me do this. Now I wanted more hands on for him and his sons. And Barry then took this legendary trip across America, which led him to Home Shopping Network, time with QBC, and he began, he was really the one who discovered this interaction between what the internet was becoming and commerce, and saw it as clearly as anyone now. Jeff got into it through books, but it could have been just as an Amazon, but it could have just as easily been Barry as Jeff, because he saw it across all industries, and not that Jeff lucked into anything, because Jeff didn't luck into anything at all. But Barry was at the forefront of this, and Barry made the connection in dating, in hotels, in expedient with travel, uh, with Ticketmaster, taking out online. Uh, so, many business, uh, lending, so many businesses for lending to, so many businesses. Jeff just seemed to make the connection from books, to so many other things that you buy today, and then the Whole Foods buy, which changed that. But I would say it could have, with a flip of a coin, it could have been Barry just as easily. Right. So, okay. Very interesting. So, and, I, and I had an inside look at that. In other words, if, if somehow some deals had come into us that looked that way, hey, we could have been. Uh, the buyer of Live Nation, what is Live Nation today, Clear Channel bought, and we were gonna buy that to go along with Ticketmaster. And at the time, uh, Clear Channel was selling it. I walked in with a bid and said, Barry, this is what we should pay. And uh, uh, Clear Channel walked in with a bid that was double R's and he said did you drop a zero and I said no no because what we should pay and of course the the bid that they made was unsustainable sometimes people are going to bid something that you can't even see but very short pretty clearly
0: right just sort of yeah visionary uh, ahead of the curve just seeing seeing moves he's a chess maybe played some chess and got the moves down ahead so
1: look there's a dozen of them Malone is in that league certainly the smarts of the smart gates obviously there's a bunch of guys like that that are heads and heads and heads above others right
0: absolutely well so that so that's and then so talk about that then so the usa networks i mean that was a bit that was your big that was a
1: huge deal though right well i had usa networks i had usa films i had dick wolf's franchise i had three talk shows uh um sally jesse maury povich and the uh fabulous uh jerry springer Barry would call me in his office and say stop the fighting so if we stop the fighting we stop the ratings Well, stop fucking and at me. So look, it's uh,
0: (laughs) yeah, uh, yeah. That's uh, man. well, Barry, I gotta know because we got so many questions. We gotta answer some. You gotta. I know you got stuff scheduled in here as well. Tell me about family. Amy Baker, just uh, the joy. She's such a, a a bright light. To you know, we part of knowing and reasons we love coming and seeing Amy, spending time with her. You know, of course, your family. But where did you meet Amy? And how does this? And then how does family play in all this? Because you have, uh, you know, there's Brandis, there's Bryce, you know, Lame, you got the, you got the kids. How does this play in? You're doing all these business and crazy yeah. deals. How do you balance this? And where did you meet Amy? Well,
1: I was married before uh, uh, into the night, early 1990, and uh, no kids. Uh, and and then 1990, which talked about this. deal. I know this story. You met her in a limo, right, or something? You met her in a limo. 30 years and one week ago we had to celebrate last thursday night meeting 30 years ago on tax day april 15th and uh uh, we got married four years later and uh uh she was in la as an executive with mbc she worked for bob wright who is my partner now at lee equity and bob's another uh, one of the guys who transformed the business and uh, uh also the guy who did the um uh also the guy who uh did autism speaks gets a lot of credit for all of that too um and uh amy was uh in charge of uh the look of nbc and uh we were introduced by a fellow named michael lambert in, uh fox television and fox indication a good friend of mine who you've met and we were out going on a dinner in the middle of the national association of broadcasting, which is would have been going on this week, if not for COVID and, uh, uh, would be this week. And, uh, uh, in Vegas, one of their largest, the second largest show next to the, uh, next to, uh, uh, the first week in Vegas, uh, first January. I'm blank. Yes. Yes. Thank you. And then, um, too many initials so then and we got together she moved with her daughter from her first marriage to st louis in 94 we were married on the 10th hole of the las vegas country club uh, on a nice cool 113 degree day in las vegas at the home of a gentleman named elias Gonham, who was the boxing commissioner in las vegas uh, we were married with uh At the last moment, I guess the boxing commissioner in Las Vegas is probably a bigger job than the governor's. Because at the last minute, he called four people to show up at the wedding. It was very small. He called uh, Colonel Parker, uh, Elvis's manager, who was told to show up and did. He called the governor, Bill Miller, who was told to show up and did. He called Mike Molaski, one of the big gamblers and owners of everything in Vegas, who showed up and did. And I can't remember the fourth person. But all of a sudden, these four walked in to the wedding and it was 113 degrees in the shade that that evening in Las Vegas and we moved to St. Louis uh, we had a child just as we sold River City Bryce um, right. St. Louis and as we know with all of our friends whether it's Darren Williams who played for the Jazz whatever you guys you guys all become better friends with Bryce than you are with me because he's much cooler than me he's much smarter than me he's better looking than me
0: Listen Bryce Bryce, we call him Boogie you know he, he has a good time We have a lot of fun he comes on the trips uh, yeah, we have been to Montreal numerous times Antonio I know he's, he's up in California and bounces down and Is there? I've run, you know, yeah. We see Bryce a lot, man. He's great. It's so funny to have met him in like high school and now he's, you know, he's hanging out. He's one of the boys. He's awesome. Yeah.
1: Everyone wants to come back as Bryce, including me. (laughs) Yeah. Bryce has has the life of any. Well, he's 23 now, working a great job in San Francisco, but no one has the life of Bryce, period. Anyway, Lane came a couple of years after that. She's a junior at Stanford. Uh, We've told her that she's not really ours because we don't think we could have produced a kid that got into Stanford. So we told her she was left at the doorstep. And uh, she's really bright. She worked for Chuck Schumer. uh, This past year in Washington, she has designs, Uh, being in law school, being a judge, working for who knows where, but the sky's the limit for her and for Bryce. And Brandis has a baby girl. She lives in Florida, in Jupiter, and uh, she's doing great as well. So uh, uh, the family is very closely connected. Uh, We've had both, both Amy and I have had pretty giant medical issues I know you wanted me to yeah
0: I wanted to uh, touch on that a bit, and just to explain what you you know ex- what you've gone through with that and how you've beaten some of this uh, well this. I,
1: I I developed throat cancer in 96 they didn't think it was throat cancer at the time it turned out to be um I've had 63 surgeries under a general another 100 uh in the office literally surgeries. 63 Uh,
0: You've had 63
1: surgeries. 63 times I've been put to sleep thinking I'm not getting up. Yeah, I finally, they finally removed my vocal cords because the cancer was about to spread to the rest of my vocal frame. And I would have had a stoma put in and talk like this. But I talked without a voice. Uh, I talked like this uh, for about five years because I didn't have a voice and no vocal cords. And then finally a genius named Steve Zytel's in Boston after... 10 years of surgeries and the final removal figured a way to create a partial voice box inside my throat he's the doctor of Adele who has talked to us the doctor who gave Adele back her voice James Taylor, Cher, Julie Andrews, uh, Marvin Hagler uh, I mean I could you could go on with uh, uh 20 people that uh tommy tune and go on and on, 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 on uh, uh keith urban uh roger Daltrey. uh uh what's his name from aerosmith Steven tyler who says he put half a poo up his nose um Stephen Zytel's a genius, and uh, uh, he has saved more careers, and he literally gave me back a voice for Bryce Bar Mitzvah, and he promised me he would. Uh, My best friend, Steve Sobel, recommended him, and we had traveled all over the world. I've had surgery on my vocal cords in Australia, almost had it in Germany, but had it at every major clinic in the United States. And finally, Steve figured out a way to give me back a voice and get rid of the cancer. And that took start to finish about 12 years of surgery. So I'm cancer free for now 13 years. Amy's not been so lucky. Uh, When I was going through one of my cancer surgeries in 2004, um, she developed breast cancer, stage four, um, sorry, 2005, and had a double mastectomy and then was cancer free until a week before her 60th birthday, three years ago in August, and it came back with a vengeance, and she's now stage four again uh, on a very, very tough chemo regimen, And we're fighting through a lot of options, which are not very pretty right now. Um, She's not well. She's been in quarantine, essentially, for the last 35 days. Nothing to do with COVID, much more to do with the fact that she has almost no white blood cells or hasn't had many weeks in terms of resistance to any kind of disease. And so we're hoping for a cure. She has the best doctors at Hopkins, MD Anderson, a genius named... uh, Dennis Slamon, who invented one of the big breast cancer drugs, and uh, another genius Ben Park at Vanderbilt. She has Dr. Oz looking after uh, Dr. Ben Lewis, Dr. Sobel. So she has probably the best medical team ever. But there's no, call, there's no cure yet for uh, metastatic cancer, and so. We're hoping something shows up so we're both battled cancer for many years uh and you know the obvious money doesn't buy your health if you don't have your health you're in big big trouble so um we're, we're both very sensitive to it and given uh tens of millions already to health causes and both kinds of cancer we just started a uh breast cancer lab in at Vanderbilt for Amy we have labs in both uh, 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 MGH where uh, at Harvard where Steve Zytel is at in Vanderbilt for, uh, for throat and neck cancer so we're pretty dedicated to trying to find some solutions for people
0: so absolutely no I mean uh- it's it's really just how I was talking with Amy, talking with you, and you know to go through the surgeries and, and go with it, it shows what a fighter and how tough you guys right. are, really. It's
1: really amazing to we're see Big fans guys. of this guy, too. My best – one of our best buddies is Tony Thomas, whose father started St. Jude, and he did Golden Girls and all kinds of stuff, and we're right. big fans of this guy, too.
0: That's awesome. I see you're, you are the chairman of the Park City Medical Center.
1: I was. I retired time, time now. I was one of the original founders of it, but uh, – Park City has incredible, incredible. As you know, orthopedics. Tiger Woods does the surgeries there. Uh, obviously, with all the ski skiing and the U.S. Ski Team there, we have some of the best orthopedics folks, and I've been very involved in that as well.
0: Absolutely. Well, yeah. Again, and really amazing to see you guys just how you've uh, you fought and progressed and just get through these. These. I mean, sixty three surgeries. That's got to be like a record. I've never. I don't even never never heard that. That's like. Uh, I, I
1: mean, is yeah, it, that's 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 uh, it's it's uh, up there. I don't know many people have had more than ten or fifteen. Yeah, uh, it's it's tough when you put to sleep that many times because basically it's the it's the anesthesia that kills you. Uh, ultimately, it's not the surgery. Um, you basically, you know, the anesthesiologists who hear this will know this. You run into problems uh, more times than you'd think. That's why an anesthesiologist sits there during your surgery because you have heart fluctuations, you have all kinds of things. I've had what they call incidents, and so they have to mix the cocktails just right. So, yeah.
0: Wild, wow. very, very wild, man. Uh, yeah, Barry, you're you are you're an inspiration for sure. These stories, I know some of them, but hearing like the door to door stuff, I did not know that actually. And and just seeing it kind of seeing how your trajectory and, and your ability to uh, I don't want to say flip, but negotiate and weave and, and find deals to to sort of you know, it, it, it shows you it's like it's I'm glad they got that voice box for you because I can't, I mean, to, to, to have you not be able to talk would be a that would be a that would be an injustice. So I, I can't uh I that that's amazing that they You they didn't know me
1: to- when I when I didn't have a voice, which was about five years I talk like yeah. It was very frustrating for me to be in rooms. I had to control environments and i couldn't go I would go to events and just where there was music or something where I couldn't control it and I yeah. basically just sat on the side of the room very frustrating this years
0: you're anyway. you're not a sideline guy that's for sure Barry, like you you uh, you that's like we said I'm glad that you have that that's really that's amazing that all of that's uh, really really is inspirational. I do want to ask about family and business so when Bryce is born. Um, and just in general, how, how do you, cause I, I have a one-year-old tomorrow, actually, Joseph turns one-year-old, um, and oh, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Thank you very much. It's really, it's been, been a, yeah, as you know, children, the, the greatest gift, how, give me a little bit, I don't want to say advice, but what have you learned or looking back at Barry, the businessman or the mogul of doing these things? How were you able to balance family, uh, and, and children? And, and what advice would you say? What would you maybe do differently or what advice would you
1: have or, or just either, or? Well, I would say to you that you try and make your business life your personal life. I know that since Bryce has been a teenager, wherever I've had a business meeting of any of my CEOs that I work with, or sales, heads, or whatever, I've tried to let Bryce sit in on meetings ever since he could even understand what cash flow was. And I know that's not for a one-year-old yet, but even in the earliest days when when he was verbal, I would make sure he could hear conversations that would put him around terminology that if he was interested, it was there for him. And he obviously became very interested. it. if I take a pitch from somebody and it's on the phone or in person, if someone comes to Palm Desert or to Utah, or if he's in New York, and I'm going to take a pitch on a new business, I will always ask the person, do you mind if my son Bryce sits in? And it was, if he's in New York and we have a Monday morning meeting at Lee Equity. I would ask my partners can he sit in Um, I don't think you can do anything more for your kid than to put him in situations and tell him my favorite two words which is naturally curious to make uh, to have raise a kid who is naturally curious is one of the great gifts to encourage them since they're eight nine years old to watch a news program in the morning to read the Wall Street Journal when they're ready to read it to look at the New York Times to do whatever it is to gain knowledge, to teach them to read at an early age, uh, I, I can't to get them to be verbal at an early age. Anything like that to me is what makes a kid special over the shortest period of time. I don't care what their "quote unquote" IQ is. Being naturally curious is to me, what it's all about to to you know learn what the cloud is. To it's it's the stuff that we take for granted. It's it's humbling the internet because. We're all learning stuff still. I mean, a day goes by and you think, oh, I'm going to find out. I'm always fascinated. Somebody comes to me with a new business. I've got a new business call coming up in about 5, 10, 12 minutes. And I'm always fascinated about that new business. And if Bryce Bryce's in the house. I'll say, Bryce, do you want to hear this pitch? Uh, we heard one last week about a incredible business related to the insurance business. And it may not be my spade suit, but it may be something that tweaks him about streaming, or something that right. he. To learn about so well, I would- I mean, to to that point,
0: it's uh Bryce is obviously very you know he's in tune to Instagram, Snapchat, what's going on. So you know to get that perspective of someone now who's sort of come up with the generation, uh, a different generation where he can say, you know what, no, like this is cool, this is not cool. Oh, this people are doing this, or I see this, or no, this doesn't sound right, or this wouldn't work because you know they have a completely different perspective. Who you know can give you an unbiased. Uh, look into the what's happening right with that gender. So that's got to be invaluable as well.
1: And you got to pick your spots like uh, because of the COVID, we added a Peloton to this house a few weeks ago and I'm not going to learn how to put the Peloton thing together. I'm going to leave that to Lane, the little Stanford of genius But at the end of the day, because I don't need to relearn that, but I'm going to spend my time learning about something else that's going to do me good the next 10 years of my life. But You got to pick your spots and continue to learn every single day so you don't if you hear about something in business that you don't know about and you're in a fund like i am where you're out there spending money in we're in we're in drug rehab we're in the fertility business which i know you know is a new business for us and for me but i know i know more about women's fertility now and about freezing eggs and 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 everything to do with when women start to lose the ability to have a healthy baby without freezing their eggs. I knew nothing about this five years ago. And yet the willingness to learn that and do some social good while you're learning something. That's why you get up every morning. It's not just to play poker and to play golf. that's why you get up because otherwise you of. they feel like, you know, your brain is like a muscle. If you don't use it, you're going to atrophy and die. Yep. I, and my, some of my friends want to play golf 360 days a year. I think 180 or 150 might just be enough except during COVID.
0: Right. Absolutely. Well, Barry, it's, it's fascinating stuff. I know you are, you do have a, you have to get, you have, a, I believe, a call or something coming up here. I do want to ask some questions and also go to Twitter. I don't, You're not much into social media, very private. There's not a lot of info out there on you. I, I like that. You know, you, you stay, I let the, uh, you're not, you don't have Instagram or Twitter, any of that, do you?
1: I have Facebook and all, all I do there is I post stuff about Trump.
0: That's you, all. the
1: country's going to wake up.
0: There, okay. So let me, let, let me, let me get a few questions out uh, and then co- tell me when you can take one or two more and then you got to, you got to run. But there's oh. a lot. For Barry So let's go um, Just can correct me If I'm wrong on this But you joined Lee Equity In 2013 This was Is that true After the great It was a great I recession did, um, I,
1: I did I did uh, Two terms At Boston Ventures as a general partner there, they were the owners at the time at uh, National Enquirer, uh, Motown Records, Six Flags, Sticking Through Investments, PRG. You think, you think well, Six you uh, Six Flags,
0: actually, I had someone bring that to me saying that the, the uh, stock was so low. This was before COVID even hit.
1: or anything. Primer, well, well, yeah. yeah. In, in Premier Parks, we sold them a long time ago as but- we did the Enquirer.
0: Just curious, do you think that's a good – like, would that have been a good – like, at that price when it really was low or
1: just sort of – Well, Disney- you talking about pre-co- pre-COVID or now? Yeah, pre-COVID. Disney laid off 110,000 people. No one knows when it's going to be safe to go to parks. I'm, I think there are so many better places to put your money right now. Right. I love Disney as a company. I know Bob Iger since when he was a cameraman. But I'm going to just say this. There are better places with less risk to put your money right now, I right. think. Right. Okay. Um, Well,
0: let me just so let me ask this about this uh, with the new coronavirus and uh, obviously there has been a lot of damage to the global economy. uh, Can you point out any reasons to have optimism in the near one to three years in terms of. uh, uh, Yeah,
1: I'm going to give you this example of this prelude business we have for a while. You couldn't do medical. We couldn't do any. Uh, egg retrieval, eggs help women because it was only essential services, correct? You can only do hospitals shut down. The the need to have, for instance, freezing eggs or, or to have children, that's not going away. The books are, we're booked solid once, this this period is over texas just allowed us starting monday to start seeing patients again that were now not unquote that were considered non-essential before but there are so many things that are come back are we going to watch movies the way we were before i don't know i ran a theater chain in london i was chairman of a chain called the view and, and the view we sold in 2005 because i felt wow well, there wasn't even streaming them but i just felt to we change how we watched consume movies turned out to be right but but there are changes that are going to happen but there's a lot of reason for optimism in many many businesses because the internet keeps opening opportunities for a business. I'm afraid though that some of the smaller businesses are going to get hurt and not come back as the main names concentrate on use their balance sheets to grow larger.
0: For sure. So, and do you have any idea on what's happening in Hollywood with production of shows, television? Movies? What if <laughs> yeah, the ones- Hollywood for months is going to have on a series well, like Netflix? Start- time.
1: Yeah. Start with Broadway because I'm really familiar with that right now. Um, you're not going to have show, they're July 1. Um, the very nature of New York City, of when tourists are going to come back to Broadway is a whole issue because two thirds of all tickets sold in, in Broadway are to, uh, are to tourists. And I don't think that New York is going to be on the list for tourists right now and what are you gonna do without spacing and seating etc so i'm worried about so many good shows uh my friend you jackman has a show called music man opening in october which is going to be freaking amazing and people are worried about and that's october right that's october what happens to all these people it's not just the stars how about all the people behind the scenes right. the traveling concerts and traveling tours you got a tour that has 150 people what are these people going to do for work is there going to be a is there going to be a coachella it is you know this it, forget about you as the consumer these people need work so there's a whole issue now take it over to the hollywood production stuff stuff that was in production on the margin They never go back to work. All those people are unemployed. Stuff that was successful, the 12th season of Blue Bloods, that stuff is going to go on again. But the stuff that was on the margin, we're going to have a whole re-rack of that. The good news is there's a real appetite for streaming. So there will be a curve to this. And I think that people will come out of it. They'll just be attached to different shows specifically.
0: It's really... uh... Really interesting. And then I did want to ask you as well because, you know, you, you have some overlap with the sports stuff. So how do you think – do you think that the sports will try to hold games without spectators? And does that well, hold – yeah,
1: Look, I think what the PGA Tour did was really smart. I think you start with no, no – in the in the field nobody no customers then you had 10,000 look if Cook can keep six feet away the PGA Tour with volunteers can do it too so let's start first tournament no customers no spectators then let's go to 10,000 then let's go to 20,000 and let's space them and see how we do
0: is that, where is that and that in that's in that uh that,
1: that... June, 15, June 15 we have our first PGA tournament now tennis same way we have a uh, wonderful kid uh, uh, Gringo Dmitriou practices our tennis court here every day and they're waiting for tennis to come back so we have some spacing first maybe we start with no fans but I think I think that over time we're going to be adding people but you're going to have to start somewhere and if we have to start with nobody in the stands and then start adding them slowly as we come out of this curve that's the way to go but I think we're too sports starved and I think for whatever it's worth, Michael's show got a great bump because we're dying to see anything. This time, the product happened to be great. We're tired of watching uh, people uh, throwing stones across the water to see if that's a sport. That's not a sport,
0: right? And how do you think the sports leagues will play out? MLB, NFL, do, and and like the NHL are these seasons? Are they? Are we get, Is the NBA season going to get played or finished? Or what's happening with the? I,
1: I, I mean, I'm who know? I mean, I'm, I'd be as lucky to guess as the next person. I don't know how it gets done now I just I can't see it getting done I can't see NHL and NBA concluding a season in real time I just can't I could see MLB coming up with something I could see the NFL coming up with something because to lose the whole year would be criminal I think and I think that PGA coming back is the sign that we're gonna people are gonna try and figure out ways to give somebody something there'll always be an asterisk next to this year figures stats whatever but we have to do something and do it responsibly
0: yeah it's it's even kind of crazy because even so like with the n the nba you know it's even different right like if somehow they could figure it out or in like a month or two months, they restart it or finish it it's like players are all rested teams are different it's just like it's just all the whole flow of the season and how you jockey and, and have to re- do things it's just like it's it's not the same right everything's right. sort of bizarre like guys aren't training teams aren't practicing you know it's just kind of uh it's, it's a, it's, yeah, there's no easy answer, that's for sure. Like you said, Can I give a
1: shout out to the guys in my regular game. Yes, please, Barry. Absolutely. To, uh, to, uh, Rick miller to, uh, to Joey Goot, to, uh, to Yorkie, to, uh, to Mark Green, to, to the, to the Golden Greeks, Tommy and Mike, uh, to our dearly departed, Vardakis, to, uh, I know I'll forget people, Ben Berkman and, uh, um oh i know i'll forget a bunch of guys here and i'll get screamed at by f to todd to uh ron kirk um i wish i had the whole list to find we have a oh, Rob we have about christian 40 guys the
0: there's some guys in the chat
1: Bunk- as well um, who chatted who chatted uh, in
0: i've seen uh let's see there's uh christian is in here christian christian D- west. Christian west yes and oh, i think christian Christian, and Christian I actually saw Goot. You must have the link because Goot was. I was gonna add him in. He he was. Uh, he clicked the link to get added to the call, and then I don't see it anymore. I was gonna add. Joey him Good, Joey
1: Goot's one of the great players. Here's a Jewish guy from uh, Idaho. They don't make these anymore. That's it. <laughs> there you go. Someone's asking. Mar- married to a, married to a woman from India. Yes, they don't make these guys. His his uh, daughter was married on an elephant. Uh, her, 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 her husband came in on an elephant in our backyard here in uh, Palm Desert. Literally there on an elephant. There you go. Well, that's... So, uh, shout out. If I missed you in the game, I'm going to humbly apologize. But uh, uh, what can I tell you?
0: It, 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 well, there you go. So, Barry, listen. It's our, I know you told me around this time, I have there's 65 questions on twitter can we take? Oh, go a ahead i'll move
1: amber if you're listening move my call 15 minutes matt Bostack, give him a call and tell him we're gonna be late go ahead all right, all right. All right.
0: there we go all right so here we go lucas geo asked you surround yourself with the most powerful and influential people in politics business sports and entertainment uh this pandemic affects all of us equally uh do you think what this happens personal values will be more equal and economic and social gap will narrow or be reversed uh, that's a pretty heavy question but uh any thoughts on that um, oh,
1: that's a great. First of all, it's a great question. Yeah. I'm hoping that we get more together and realize how much we have more in common than apart. The the virus doesn't pick on you based on your income, and and boy, I'm really hoping it brings people more together. It's becoming so politicized. I can't stand it. I really people get painted with a brush. Uh, my friend Dr. Ross shows up on Fox. Now he gets painted with a Trump brush unfairly. Uh, uh, it's just getting to be so politicized if you if you're willing to go back to work then you're a Trump supporter. This is so unfair because disease picks you're not based on red and blue and we need to be together
0: absolutely it's a great question also another one here I like man these some very interesting questions you grew up in the Bronx and you were when you were 14 years old you started your activity in the business world can you talk about your beginnings what were your expectations at this time you said you came from a pretty humble background right like your are yeah my dad
1: was a butcher my mother's secretary I delivered the New York Post owned by Dorothy Schiff for, for five cents a copy in the afternoons after school I used to walk up the building, no elevators we used to walk up and drop the post I used to deliver newspapers in the morning yeah i mean look expectations were i'd have a real job when i got out of school i had no expect this is just pure fantasy for me right now pure absolute fantasy
0: um someone someone here i like this question he uh los poker says what do you actually do if someone says that barry baker you're, you're with lee equity what what does barry do on a daily
1: basis i'm find, find executives okay who are on a common mission to grow comp to grow businesses. We're not in the we they bring us ideas to build a company. We're not in the body cutting business. We're in the growth equity business. They say, here's a company. It has not maximized its opportunity to grow its share or even up its open up its new markets, grow another vertical, and we try and pair them with executives show them the ways to build those businesses. My particular fun is in marketing those businesses, showing them how to market, showing them how to use the internet, showing them how to use new tools and social media, believe it or not, where I stay off of personally and how to build a community for what they do, whether it's B2B or B2C. We buy those companies, we grow them, we try to hold them for three to seven years, and then we try to sell them. Rarely through a public offering, but sometimes we own Papa Murphy's Pizza. Many of you in many states know them, uh, but mostly, mostly through a sale to another private individual, and that's how we—that's how we make our money—is we take a piece of that growth alongside management. We're always rooting with management to win.
0: And and where is Lee
1: Lee Equity? Where is based New York. Lee is based in New York. Uh, I'm the only other person other than. Uh, Bob Wright is in Florida and in Connecticut. And uh, uh, another partner, uh, Dave Morrison, is in Boston, but it's basically a New York based group. Tom Lee founded it. Uh, he basically founded private equity as we know it today. Big time private equity it was an entity. It's now called T.H. Lee Putnam in Boston and Tom was the original of Snapple and Ever And when you say Tom Lee's name, you really are saying private equity because he's the original. He's the original original. He could be the Jeff Bezos of private equity from the beginning.
0: Very cool. Do you play? Well, we know you play golf. Do you play any sports? Any other sports? I used
1: to you- play a lot of squash. Um, I don't play. My buddy Ed Minskoff is a super senior champion. Uh, I wish I did. I do a lot of skiing because living in Park City. We do that. I get out. 25 days a year. My buddy Reno Scanzoni gets out 75 to 100 days a year, but uh, um, I do a lot of skiing when I can. A couple of hours is all you need when you're local. Powder days only, unless you have friends in town. But uh, those are my three really sports. I love hiking in the summer. It's wonderful there, dry, uh, and that those sports. Oh, and now the Peloton, I've become a Peloton addict the last few weeks. What, what do you think
0: of that business? That, that stock must be through the roof, huh?
1: Yeah. So uh, again, I, I, I wish I owned it at the beginning. Who knew? Uh, but, uh, hard to val hard to judge the value. And uh, you know, the fact that Tesla's worth more than the Ford motor company, uh, you know, Yeah. Uh, I'd like to It's hard to understand this stuff, uh, but well, or the Netflix is worth more than Disney. Hard to understand this stuff. Uh, you think about the Disney company, the parks, Arama, but uh, Peloton's worth what it is. But it's hard to think how it could sustain the growth and the value when it's got treadmills and and a bike in my in my second office.
0: True. What what is uh what is your recipe for success? Give me a little formula for for Barry.
1: Stay naturally curious. Stay naturally curious. Get around smart people, smarter than yourself. Let them go and do the job. Give them the support that they need financially. Be there for them mentally. Give them the encouragement. Give them the rope. Tell them how to do it. And when they don't do it, talk to them, praising always in public. And criticizing in private because they're never going to do everything right you didn't do everything right i didn't do everything right but when you talk to them try and talk to them in private try and not explode in public it's a tough thing and try and tell them here's how you might have done it and trying to get them to come to you and not solve a problem on their own that they haven't that they think they couldn't they want to show you the result of how great they were try and get them to, to solve that problem with you if they haven't done it before. And then once you show them how to do it, then they got it. Cause you get smart people around you. They'll do it.
0: That's great advice. Um, something, uh, asking, let's see, Mary, Mary, Dip asking, do you, do you like Stu Unger? Did you ever play with him? Do you know Stu Unger? Do you have any Stu Unger stories? I don't, that's a random, random – uh, I, I don't
1: know Stu Unger. I, I, I might – more people know who I am than I know who they are. Somebody comes to our house where we have 500 people for Sundance parties, and they go, oh, I was at your house. I don't know who they are. So right. I apologize uh, to you.
0: May, that may have happened. Uh, someone's asking, have you ever been to Vegas, which we know is yes. But tell us something about it. You got married there.
1: I went to Vegas first time in 70- – seventy seven saw Sinatra at the at the at the dunes and it was uh you know you never forget when you saw Sinatra right and so yes more times than I can count and I bought my parents a home there when I made my first dollars Uh, I bought my parents a home there in in Sun City uh on Balin Drive and uh, when they Moved to Dallas, and uh, uh, my wife's brother lives there now. So I still own a home in Las Vegas. And I love the place. I love the restaurants more than I love the gambling. I love the entertainment. I saw Barbara Streisand there, New Year's Eve 2000, and Bette Miller the next day. Um, I saw Lady Gaga there a few months ago, and she stood on our table and sung af- after it. Um, uh, um, Oh, I'll think of the restaurant with the great chicken in a second, but you'll know the name of it—the one, right, one, the one we went to.
0: Uh, uh-huh. recently, uh yeah. the, at uh, the MGM park, um, park, the one in New York, right? They have. Hey, a- I'm
1: supposed to have these problems. Can't remember shit. Disease. What's your problem?
0: I I'm too excited. Come man. on. I have too many questions on my tongue. It's not Carbone. Um, it's uh, Noma. No, no, no. Nomad. Noma. The Nomad. Noma. The Nomad. Teamwork, Barry. Yeah. We got Jesus. there. Noma, Nomad. Right yes. right Nomad. Yes. Um, you were a media pioneer. What was it like to run two monsters like Sinclair Broadcasting Group or USA Interactive without going crazy? This is from PegMillion69. I
1: don't know who that is, but anyway, maybe I do, but I don't know. Uh, again, I'm not running them. I have a CEO of USA Network at the time, a CEO of Sci Fi, a woman named Bonnie Hammer, uh, who was a woman that now ends up running all the Comcast cable. I... Put her in that job. She was amazing. Um, uh, And the other company was which company other than
0: Uh, Sinclair Broadcasting Group? Oh,
1: Sinclair was easy. You know, I was in there because I had to go in there. They, They had to go in there. David Smith was the chairman. I was CEO of the broadcast group. And it wasn't, you know, we weren't. Are right-leaning then we weren't uh, requiring newscasters to read right-wing material or it was a very different company then than it is today they're not worth much more than they were when they paid bought us uh 25 years ago which brings me great happiness some sick <laughs>
0: that, yeah that, well that is that's strong that's strong on for uh, in your to your testament there how ha- how uh, good question, which has already been answered, but someone asking, how did you meet this pretty lady in the photo, which is your, the the banner photo, which is in
1: a limo in Las Vegas. That's, there's nothing else. Therefore, 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 I, therefore I've been to Las Vegas.
0: Exactly. What's your favorite game to play? Favorite variation of poker. Um,
1: High low is it? I like, I like pineapple which is three-card hold'em where you throw it away after the flop. I like that one. I like uh, Antonio's game, Royale, an awful lot. You know, we play a game where you – in my game, as you know, at Park City, it's dealer's choice. So I like that one. We play an awful lot of high-low Omaha, and I enjoy that as well.
0: Tony Tony Thomas joins says uh, I, I did get around smart people I got around you nice shirts Tony Thomas in the chat I wore
1: that shirt for Tony Thomas today
0: well he's he's in he's watching what's up Tony
1: um, that's very cool that's, so that's, uh, that's uh, Dead Poet Society Golden Girls uh, Tony did uh, It's a Living Empty Nest I'll forget a few shows but uh, really smart guy and most importantly his dad founded St Jude's. And his father his, and his sister and he have dedicated their lives for carrying that out. And they raise over a billion, I think a billion five hundred thousand, a billion, 500 million every year.
0: Wow, yeah, I know Daniel is a big supporter. of That I've been to some of the St. Jude charity stuff in Vegas. I've I've played in some of their tournament stuff. They do a ton of ton of work. I know Daniel's a Tony.
1: Hero. I thought about you when I put on this shirt this morning because I thought maybe you know you were behind on the fundraising with COVID, and I thought I'd give you a shot a shout out.
0: There we go. Listen, it's obviously one of the strongest, if not the strongest, most well known. You know, well,
1: other than American Heart Association, nobody raised more money than St. Jude.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I it's for sure. I mean, I I you just mentioned the numbers. That's a that's pretty 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 impressive and it's great that it goes. It's, it's small walk. donors.
1: It's Doing, small donors. It's unbelievable.
0: It's really cool. What's your favorite summer vacation? Give me a couple stops in the world you like to go to. I mean, we know your mainstays, but where do you go? Where does Barry go for like a crazy
1: getaway? Or where did you I, used to go? I like, have been many places I have with everywhere in the world. We're just in the Seychelles. Amazing place. Uh you can't beat Sicily and, and Italy. Uh, oh, uh, you can't beat it for any, you can't beat it at all. There's just, uh, the entire Capri, uh, uh Amalfi coast. You, you, to me, you can't beat it. Uh, there's nothing even close the food, the weather, everything about it and no golf. Right? It's just fine with me. It's just, it's paradise to me.
0: Absolutely. Um, did you discover any new hobbies during the lockdown, or has anything really changed for you? You're basically yeah, the peloton,
1: the peloton, sitting in the corner. That's two good. out of every three days. Can't believe it. I'm I'm really into it. They finally found some size 13 shoes for me, and I'm I'm it's, all over it.
0: You're ready to roll. That I, I've done it a few times as well. It's quite a sweat. You break a ridiculous sweat. It is uh right. It's really good. Um Okay, we'll take a couple more. Then I know you got to run off. Uh, If you had to choose No Limit Hold'em or Pot Limit Omaha, which game would you
1: choose? No Limit Hold'em or Pot Limit Omaha. It's a pair of sixes to me. I love them both. How's
0: that? All right. That's a good good analogy. All right. I've read that you've had a lot of different jobs and positions. This is a question from Manuel on Twitter. Um, What was the most challenging and what was your favorite and why?
1: Well, anyone who tells you that working for Diller isn't the most challenging there's um, a great story. Um, there was a guy um, at Viacom, CVS, um, and I'm not going to mention his name, but it was a point where Barry was going to buy CVS, and he was considered this guy to be the toughest, most ruthless guy, boss to work for, just horrible guy, always mean-spirited, always terrible. I always liked him, but he was just tough. And Barry came up to CBS to kind of look over the place. It looked like he was going to get it over some the Redstone. And this guy turned to everyone and said, I finally got the boss I deserve. <laughs> so um, uh, Barry's very tough to work for. He's very fair, but um, he, I would say he's the toughest boss. And he's probably the, I don't know, I haven't worked for anybody else in... <laughs> Since Joe, I'm, as I think about it, I haven't worked for anybody else since 1986, so I've been partners with a lot of people, but um, I haven't worked for anybody else since 2000, so it's hard for me to say anybody, but uh, um, sometimes in my golf games, I'm not the uh, organizer of the game, and Somebody yelled at me a few days ago, but he's since apologized. <laughs> there you go, man. I, I, I gave up. I, I didn't want him to give a putt. And he said, you're not in charge of this game. I said, "Should I'm in charge of everything. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they Just let, letting him know. I love it. You got to be straightforward with him. All right. Let's take, let's take, Barry. You, you I know you've already extended. So two more questions. Two more questions. All right. Two yes. more questions. All right. Please, please ask Barry if he thinks that corporate governance and audit can drive value. And then he goes on to say, I think most businesses are doing things to check the boxes on what's required, but don't really look to those reports for hidden value within their organizations, their own organizations. So what do you think on this? Corporate governance? I think,
1: look, I think audit's crucial because post, look, the Madoff thing is all about audit. Um, uh, What we have done since Madoff has made it that that part of the world. Is a lot safer to invest in because of what he got away with. The governance thing is critical too. Uh, we don't have enough diversity in corporate governance for sure. Um, we still have an old boys network. We should get rid of all of the super voting stock that has allowed some people to control businesses. It's a big negative, in my opinion, in, in corporate governance and a lot of the moguls we've talked about. Have some of that super voting stock it's wrong. it doesn't really match up to the economics that they are in the businesses. So I'm a big fan of improving corporate governance and having the audit people and people on the comp committee. you have you have. People approving comp plans of hundred million dollars for executives. I don't care what kind of a year you're having. No one should be making a hundred million dollars in a year. It's just to me, it's unfathomable. In this, you're already you're already worth a billion dollars. What's the point of it? I'm sorry. Sorry. Right.
0: Okay. And last question I want to ask you, Barry. Poker. That's you know. Again, I I think you see Antonio my, myself a little bit different than we're not. I'm not a. I don't just play poker. I do the Twitch, do streaming. I have investments as well. I, I really enjoy the crossover. What do you, you know, you've played poker from, you said even like, well, four years old, you were playing some, some form of cards. You, you've learned skills and done stuff. What do you, do you, do you love poker so much? And, and why, what values and, and, and things like, Bryce has gotten into it a bit, done some studying. He was asking about learning the game. What do you think kind of crosses over into the real world, the business world, skills of poker are the most valuable that, that sort of are inter- interchangeable?
1: fabulous last question so you know what they say about people on a golf course if they if you, you know you learn a person's character yeah the trump story i'll tell you is that uh at the palm springs invitational is that um he was playing it about 15 years ago and my f- friend who's a head pro who's a head bros pro, bros a, pro, a professional joe Ogilvy. he uh um, watched as trump was playing ahead of him and Trump bumped his ball up in the rough on the first hole. And the pro Adam him said, go back and tell him he can't do that. This counts in our, the lot of the Palm Springs tournament is a, is a tournament, the ball, old Bob open where the amateur score counted towards a separate prize like it does in the AT&T. And um, he just bumped it up and hit it on the green. Unfortunately, his score didn't count. But on the next hole, he hit it under a tree and He pulled it out from under the tree, thinking no one was looking at it on the green and then tried to record his score. And the pro went like this and said to the caddy to go over there. And Trump looked at him and said, look, he says, um, and this has been written about a bunch. Hey, look, um, I cheated in business. I cheated on my wife. Why don't you think I cheated golf? So, so. Having said that, and I know I pissed off 43% of the audience, but I don't really care. You've a lot about a person on the golf course. I played with Donald, and it's um, uh, at the end of the first hole, he sat in the car, which told me he's the driver, and he said, uh, I had a, he said, the Donald had a five, and I said, the Barry had a four, he didn't talk to me for two holes. So I know what the interaction is like. And you've been in Bryce's room where, He has a letter from to to Bryce where he said, dear Bryce, congratulations on your hole in one on my golf course. I've had five of them. So sorry to repeat that. But that that exists as to as to poker, as to poker. Here's what I think crosses over. Here's what I think crosses over. The you can't learn poker at 40 years of age. I'm convinced you're either a card player or you're not a card player. People come up and say, "Oh, I'm going to study it and read it, whatever." You either have that chicanery in you, or you don't have that chicanery. And you either you either played cards as a kid, or you played it when you were 20, 25. But by then, if you haven't been involved in that, if you haven't mathematically thought about uh, the odds after a flop, if you have two spades in your hand and you think that you're going to make a flush in in a in a, in a Omaha in a PLO game, you haven't really thought that that all those odds aren't really four percent. If you don't if you don't know that going in and you're gonna play it out, then you're an idiot. And and you're there's the mathematical part of poker, and then there's the part of poker which says, I'm gonna learn about other individuals, etc. And I think it is like golf that way. You can kind of tell a lot about people, and as Michael Jordan would say, you could kind of find out their pressure points i don't think you're gonna find out about their honesty we don't play in games where at least i don't think i'm playing in games where people are cheating we do, we self-deal in our games which i know isn't usual for a game with the stakes we play in but our games are more about fun i don't want to be in a game that's so cutthroat that a guy would cheat and we've thrown all those guys out not because we thought they were cheating so i think what translates about poker is what kind of a guy you are and i only want to play with guys like in golf who are good guys. I don't want to. I'm there for fun. And if I'm playing poker, it's guys I would do business with. And so what translates for me is I would do a deal with any one of these guys because I trust them implicitly, implicitly, because I'm sitting there. They're in my home. And so what poker teaches me is who I would do business with. And if, they're, if I wouldn't do business with them, I really don't want them on my game. So. There's yes, my hand.
0: Barry, I love that. All right. Well, we're going to let you last, last thing. I'm just going to copy and paste the, uh, we have a $55 ticket giveaway. Party poker is giving away. Uh, just tell me when Barry, and someone's going to win a $55 ticket and then we'll let you ride off into the sunset. Now. Boom. There it is. Courtesy of Party Poker, Barry Baker, $55 ticket given away to jo- Josie and Trowers. We'll send him a message. And Barry, man, I really do appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Was and we'll uh, chat and see you soon. We got to, after COVID, we got to get the, the family together, do some and spend a, a, a I mean, not that long, but still, we got we to gotta get back and uh, hang out. So thank go, you. Go guys. to the
1: Nomad. Have some of that chicken.
0: Nomad, baby. That's right. In Vegas. So cheers, Barry. Enjoy. Happy thank birthday. You. Happy birthday to the baby. Thanks a lot. See, see you, soon Say hi to the family. Barry Baker, everybody. Great guy. Very insightful. I hope you enjoy. This will be on iTunes, Spotify, all the different outlets that you can imagine if you want to listen on voice. And of course, this is on for your video replay anytime you want on Jeff Gross Podcast on YouTube. Thanks again to Barry. And we'll see you guys on another podcast soon. Thanks for listening to this episode. It was brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes.